We are continuing through our series through Hebrews 11 as we look today at Noah. Because it's one verse in Hebrews 11 as we look at Noah, we're going to start by looking at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. As we get to verse 8, we will then conclude by jumping forward to Hebrews 11 and looking at what it says there about Noah. As we begin, I can't help but draw your attention back to what's happened this semester in chapel, though. As we look at what's taken place in chapel, I've had a theme of a series that we're going through. It's called By Faith. But there's been an unintentional theme that I have continually seen and heard repeated in chapel through sermon after sermon. Anybody care to wager a guess what that theme would be on? Repentance. It goes back to early on, second or third chapel this semester, where we had a speaker that came in and talked about godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow and godly repentance and the differences between those two. It continues on, and it seems like every speaker has mentioned something about repentance. Last week, we had Trevin Wax, who came in and talked to us about repentance, and the very next day, we had Ligon Duncan, who used a similar illustration, a similar focus, a similar theme throughout on repentance. I do not believe that our God is a God of coincidences. I believe that we have a God that sovereignly orchestrates everything that happens. And I believe our God is trying to say to us, to all of us here, not to any particular group, but to all of us here, that repentance is something that's important to Him. Why is He saying that to us? I don't know the mind of God. I don't know if it means that there are some here who have come here just because mom and dad said, you're a mess, we're going to pay for you to go there and hope they can straighten you out. I don't know. I don't know if it's because some of you came here because you like athletics and we have really good NCAA Division II teams and you wanted to play at that level and you said, I am here to play ball and that's why I'm here. And maybe God's trying to get your attention to say to you, no, you may think you're there because that's where mom and dad wanted you or you may think you're there because that's where an athletic team exists but you're there to confront your sin, to encounter the reality of who God is, to repent of that sin, to finally encounter salvation with a holy and righteous God. Perhaps that's why God has repeatedly put that theme before us. And if so, you should recognize that as the grace of God in your life to bring you to a confrontation with His saving grace while you still have an opportunity to accept. Perhaps that's not the reason. Perhaps there are sin issues among us and there are people who are struggling with sin that they don't want to let go, that they don't want to repent of. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and if you were honest with yourself, you would have to admit that you like your sin. In fact, you like your sin more than you want to live for God and so you hold on to that sin and you hide that sin and you cling to that sin and you won't relinquish that sin and throughout this semester in chapel sermons that we have not orchestrated but that God has, He is reminding us and He is confronting us all that He is a God that does not like sin. In fact, He is a God that hates sin. And that he is a holy and a righteous God that eventually, even though he's slow to anger, will bring judgment upon sin. Cedarville family, if that's what God is doing, it's my encouragement, my admonishment to you today to say to us, let us repent of our sin and recognize it for what it really is, a rebellion against the God that loves us, the God that created us, the God that has extended so much grace to us. Let us encounter God by faith, repent of our sin, and trust and walk in His ways. Is that why He's doing it? 
I don't know. But here it is again today. As we look at the story of Noah, this is not a story where we get caught up in the fact that there are animals walking two by two or that there's a wooden ship. It's a story where we see the wickedness of man and we see God's judgment upon sin and we see God's plan of salvation ultimately. And so if you will, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read Genesis chapter 6 beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Dear God, I pray that you would speak to us today and that we would be open to hear what you would say and that by faith we would follow and obey. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. What we see at the very beginning of this text is we see that the Lord saw the wickedness of man, and you'll notice in verse 5, He doesn't just point out the wickedness of man so much as he gives two superlatives in this verse. He says the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention, so it's every intention, of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And so here in verse 5, the writer gives us an indication of exactly how wicked mankind was. And if you were to back up at the beginning of chapter six, which is a very controversial section of who are the sons of God, and we don't have time to get into that today, you understand they were taking wives. And so you understand there's an assault on marriage. If you look after this into verse 11 and verse 12, it talks about how the earth was filled with violence. It talks about how God saw the earth and it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And so we see here a depravity of mankind, the sinfulness of mankind, the wickedness of mankind. Now, there are some people out there that would have you believe that inside of us, innately, mankind is good. That if you were to leave us to our own devices, that because mankind is innately good, that eventually society would get better and get better and get better, and eventually society would improve. But that's not the case. Here you have people who lived as we've looked at in the last sermon, 969 years old with Methuselah, and yet you don't see a continual improvement. What you see when we come to Genesis chapter six is that man left to our own devices without the grace of God in our lives, that mankind and womankind, that all of us run away from God in such a way that we are utterly depraved and it's described in such a way that wickedness contains every thought of our heart and every intention of our mind continuously. Do you understand that depart from the grace of God, that's where you're headed, that's where you're going, that that's where you're going to be, is that even when you do good things apart from the grace of God, and I was reminded of this this weekend, as I went to the green to check out the new iPhone, and we were eating at Oodles and Noodles, and I sat down, and I decided that my son had endured shopping trips, two of them, because we had to go to Old Navy, and we had to go to Justice for my daughter, and so when we went to two of those stores, I thought, poor boy, he needs a treat, I'm going to get him a Rice Krispie treat while we're sitting here at 
at Oodles and Noodles because that's where my wife and daughter wanted to eat. And so I buy him a Rice Krispie treat. He's enjoying this treat. He's eating it up. And his sister asks for a piece. He gives her one little small piece. And all at the same time, we all look at him and go, well, that was nice and generous of you. Well, he smiles real big. And then what does he do? He breaks off another piece. You want more? Why is he giving her the Rice Krispie treat? It's because we gave him affirmation that he's a good boy. And so even when he's doing something nice, why is he giving her the Rice Krispie treat? He wants more affirmation for himself. It's not necessarily a pure thing that he's doing. He sees that he gets affirmation when he does that. Give me more of that. We're the same way, aren't we? Even when we do good things left to our own devices, we do them because they're filthy rags before God because we want people to say about us, oh, look how nice they are. Look how courteous they are. Look how considerate they are. And we have to recognize that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know them? We don't know the mind of the Lord. We are depraved and left to our own devices without the grace of God. We will run away from him in such a way that we would be wicked. Aren't you glad this morning for the grace of God? Here in this generation, you see the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth. Every intention of the thought of his heart was evil continuously. And what's God's response to that? God's response to that is, I'll give you 120 years, and then I'm going to bring a flood, a judgment upon sin. When Peter talks about it, Peter talks about the patience of God while the ark was being prepared. And so there's more grace that is even being extended after you recognize the wickedness of mankind and where it is. And when you look up there in verse three of chapter six, it says, my spirit shall not abide forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And some people wanna take that and say it's 120 years is the days that man will live. But right after Noah and the flood, mankind lived a lot longer than that. And so the majority of the commentators on this particular text of scripture will say that 120 years was the amount of time from when the Lord Lord said, I'm going to bring a flood until he actually brought the flood. Now, don't make the mistake of thinking that that's how long it took to build the ark. We don't know that for sure. We're not told. We know that when Noah was 500 years old, he had his sons. And then we know when he was 600 years old, it's when God brought the flood. And so we understand that if the command to build the ark was given to him and his sons, it may not have taken a full 120 years. We don't know. But we understand that God was gracious and that he allowed 120 years from the time that he pronounced the judgment until the time that the judgment came, and he also has an ark. He has a plan here. Now, how long does it take you to repent and to turn to God? A minute? Is that how long it would take you to pray, to repent, and to turn to God? And you think about the fact that God gave 120 years. 120 years would equate to 43,800 days, 1,051,200 hours, or 63,072,000 minutes. And so God confronted with the utter wickedness of mankind, he looks at mankind and said, they're completely depraved, they're utterly depraved, it's the wickedness that every thought of their heart is evil continuously. What shall I do? I'll give them 120 years to respond. Cedarville students, you're not guaranteed 120 years to respond to God. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed the minute after you walk out the door. But here we see God respond in a gracious way when he offers 120 years after seeing the wickedness of man. And not only does he do that, but he also has a plan and he tells Noah, Noah, I'm gonna destroy the earth and so build an ark. Make an ark for yourself. 
Now this ark, it gives the dimensions a little later on. It's 300 cubits, its breadth is 50 cubits, its height is 30 cubits. And so if you were to look at the size of the ark, the size of the ark is roughly equivalent to half of the Titanic. You'll see a 747 plane is 231 feet. Noah's ark is about 450 feet in length. The Titanic was 882 feet. Now, what would you think if you were Noah and God came up to you and said, Noah, here's your assignment. I want you to build a boat that's bigger than a football field. I want you to build a boat that's 450 feet long because I'm gonna bring a flood. And I want you to build a boat that has different floors on it so that you can put roughly equivalent to 522 railroad cars full of items in it. Roughly 125,000 sheep-sized animals into this ark. And that's gonna be your assignment is for you to build an ark. How many of you wanna sign up for that assignment? A few engineering students out there maybe wanna sign up for that assignment? I mean, you know, an ark would be better than a cardboard boat. I'm just saying, it would <laughs> maybe just take a little longer. How long did it take him to build the ark? We don't know. But what we do know is that this is a massive undertaking, a massive boat, a massive piece of construction. Can you imagine, Noah? Some of you are gonna have very tough assignments in life. You're gonna have difficult days ahead of you in life, but I would submit to you, I don't think any of us are gonna have days quite as difficult as what Noah had. Noah was given an assignment to be, as Peter calls him, a preacher of righteousness. He was to build a boat, and by building this boat, it was gonna be in his backyard, which makes Noah the very first redneck, right? Okay, I'll prove it here. <laughs> in the days of Noah, you might have had a redneck joke running like this. You might be a redneck if you've ever lived under the same roof with all your family, your sons, and your son's wives. You might be a redneck if you've ever lived under the same roof with a bunch of farm animals, including chickens and goats and pigs. You might be a redneck if you've ever had a boat on blocks in your backyard that you couldn't get to the water for many, many years. And the answer would have to be, who's Noah? But don't miss it, because at the end of the story, our redneck turns into a hillbilly because he lands the boat on a hill, and then he gets off and he gets drunk and naked. But that's a story for a different day. And so, that's a story for a different time. What, what we see right here and what we see right now, if we can ever pull this back to sanctified service, it's what we see is Noah has been commissioned to build a boat that's 450 feet long. And day after day, Noah gets up and Noah goes out and Noah begins to build and to work on this boat and to work day after day with manual labor, continually going to it. And here in, in sanctified imagination, think about what would have happened at family reunion time. Hey kids, that's Noah. Don't go near him. He's building a fortress in his backyard because he says it's gonna rain. We don't know what rain is. We've never seen it yet. But he says it's gonna rain. And not only is it gonna rain a little bit, it's gonna flood. And that big thing he's building in the backyard is supposed to float. He's crazy. Stay away from him. Imagine what his own family thought. Noah, come on. I mean, Answers in Genesis is building an ark down in Kentucky and they're raising $30 million to build it. Come on, Noah. 
How much money is this costing you? How much time and effort are you putting into this? And what do you say is going to happen here, Noah? You say that God's going to bring all the animals to you? Yeah, this is the original. If you build it, they will come, right, Noah? I mean, they're just going to show up two by two and begin to march into your ark. Noah, are you really going to include the snakes in this? Because come on, if this is really true, you could get rid of them forever right now, all right? (laughs) How many of you want Noah's assignment? A preacher of righteousness for 120 years, and who believes you? your wife, your sons, and your son's wives. And they may believe you because you said, I told you so. Noah may have even said to them, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it too. I don't know what Noah had to say to him to get him to agree to this. But here's the situation that we see is a wickedness of mankind and God offers 120 years of grace. God tells Noah to build a boat. Look at what it says here in verse six and look at what uh, the reaction is says, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. Now, don't let this be a problem to you. It's anthropomorphic language that we're using here where we're communicating that the Lord looks upon the sinfulness of man and he understands that mankind has rebelled against his way and he understands we're not pursuing what we need to pursue. And God said he's sorry that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man that I have created from the face of the land, man, animals, creeping things, the birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I have made them. This is not a problem for us. This does not create some issue in our theodicy because we understand that when we interpret scripture in light of other scripture, that God had a plan all along, that God knew what he was gonna do. God was not caught by surprise because mankind rebelled against him. God was never surprised by what Adam and Eve did. God was not surprised by the condition of the world at this moment in time. God is not surprised by what we do. God understands all. He knows all. He is the all-knowing God. He is the all-powerful God. But God has chosen to operate in such a way that we are not robots and we can rebel against him. And when he sees that, it grieves his heart because he understands, just like a parent understands with a child, that when you disobey, you're doing nobody harm but yourself and that you're running away from the perfect and the good and what God desires for you. And so God here was sorry. He was grieved because of the unholiness, because of the wretchedness, because of the violence. And in an age that we live in, we should be very cautious in our society not to violate that love for violence. I mean, I like football. I love football. I like MMA. I like jujitsu especially. But we live in a society where there is a love for violence that is taking place. And the Bible tells us that we should not love violence and we need to guard our hearts that even as we like the masculine things in life, that we need to be careful that we don't develop a love for violence that is unholy and ungodly and that crosses the line. And that's hard for me to say. But here they love violence too. God responds and what we see here is the hatred that God has for sin. Don't ever think it's okay. Don't ever think you can get away with it. God hates sin. You want to know what we do in our society? We take sin and we try to cover it up. We try to give it nice names. We try to bury it. We try to clear the history. We try to say it doesn't really happen. 
And yet what God's word says to us is that once we get involved in sin and we try to manage our sin, that we can't manage our sin and that our sin takes us down a little deeper road and then we're not comfortable with that. We gotta press it a little farther. We go down a deeper road and next thing you know, we're sitting in a situation where everybody is sinning and then they're looking around approving of the sin of others and it reeks of Romans chapter one. And Romans chapter one says in verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith, which takes us back to Hebrews But listen to what it says beginning in verse 18 as I read it to you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This was happening in the days of Noah. They looked out at God's creation and they denied the creator. They looked into their own hearts and they denied their own conscience. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their own hearts to impurities, to be dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. You wanna know how you get to where you get to in a society like ours? It's you dishonor God, you deny God, you do certain things, he gives you up for dishonorable passions. God gave them up for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. They invent evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Cedarville family, we cannot grow calloused or cold toward a God who hates sin and who wants us to repent of our sin and to live by faith and trust in his grace and in his mercy. And if you are out there today and you are saying to yourself, I've got my sin handled, I've got it taken care of, you don't understand what you're saying before a holy and righteous God that has given us not only the grace of this universe and the grace to live, but the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross and the ability to repent and to accept Jesus as savior or to repent of our sins and to live for him Don't live in your own sin. Don't remain chained in bondage to sin. God did not free us so that we could go back and be slaves to sin. He freed us so we could be sons and daughters adopted by the king. I plead with you today. Today's the day you need repentance. That you would confront your own sin. 
And you would recognize in this narrative we have about Noah and the flood that God is a God that hates sin and eventually beyond his patience will bring judgment upon sin and that you would repent of your sin and that you would turn to God. You see, the last thing we see in this passage is that God has a plan. God always had a plan. God has a plan here and we see it in verse eight. In verse eight, it tells us, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. How many of you out there have the New King James Version? What does it say instead of favor? Grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you're here, and all of us have sin issues in our lives, but if you're here and you're being callous toward those issues, My prayer is that you will turn to the grace that can be found in Jesus Christ and repent. If you're here today and you think I can withstand any of this, I'm just here to play sports, I'm just here to get a degree, I'm just here for whatever, look at the sinfulness and the wickedness and what God does when he sees the sinfulness and wickedness. He hates sin. Think about the story. It's really weird to me that we take the story of Noah and the ark and we put it on blankets and we give them to our babies. Have you ever thought about this? We do this. We put, it on, we put it on the walls of our children's rooms. But when we put it on the walls of our children's rooms, we put it on there with animals two by two marching in single file or double file two by two into the ark in orderly fashion. That's one part of the story of the ark, but that's not the point of the story of the ark. The point of the story of the ark is that mankind was sinful and wicked. And when God looked upon that wickedness, he hated sin and he provided a plan of salvation, but he also brought judgment. And the story of the ark is better captivated by the painting that you've seen where you have a mom and dad trying to push a baby up onto a rock and at the same time you have animals that are trying to get up on that same rock to escape the rising water and all to no avail because God took out judgment and in this judgment he destroyed all mankind, everything except for those who were in the ark and God with that destruction says to all of us, God is a God that hates sin. It's not okay. It's not okay for us to live in our sin and to be okay with our sin. Sin will destroy you. If there's anything that you need to learn and you need to get, it's that we can't get comfortable with our own sin. We can't make peace with our own temptations. We have to fight and war against them because God is a God that hates sin, but God is a God that provides grace and salvation. Verse nine, it tells us that these are the generations of Noah. He was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and we have to pick up on the Noah walked with God there because we've heard that before. We've heard that about Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. And if I would encourage you to do anything, is to return, rebel, repent, get away from your sin, run from your sin as quickly as you can, and to be a person that walks with God, a person that reads God's word, a person that prays, a person that seeks to get to know God, a person that walks with God. You're never gonna be perfect in this life. You're never gonna be sinless. But if you are a person that seeks to walk with God and that hates your own sin and that repents when you do sin and that seeks to follow after God, that's what we have to do to live this life by faith. But we also have to notice here that we have to be careful because it says here Noah was righteous and blameless. What does that mean? Does that mean Noah had no sin at all in his life? That's not what it means. 
Because when we look at what it says there in Hebrews, in verse seven, it says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Why is it that Noah's talked about as a righteous and blameless person? It's because he did this by faith. He looked at what God had said and he trusted in God and he trusted in his word by faith. And it's by faith that Noah built an ark and God may give you a difficult assignment too. And he may give you an assignment where you feel like nobody is listening and everybody around you thinks you're crazy because you're living as a pilgrim in this world just passing through and you're looking to God and everybody looks at you and they go, they're weird. I don't, I don't know about those people. And God may give you that assignment, what do you do if he does? You obey. By faith, you obey. You build your ark one board at a time and you trust God because what by faith is all about in Hebrews chapter 11 is that God is a God of his promises. God says he will do something, God will do it and God delivers and we have a cloud of witnesses there testifying to us and saying God will be a God of his promises. You can trust in God. God promises us if we stay in sin, judgment will eventually come. But God also promises that if by faith we turn to him and look to his grace on the cross, then there is cleansing that takes place and we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. And even though we are wretched and sinful, when we turn to that grace, look at what you have. Look at what God offers you by grace. Salvation, cleansing, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, eternity with him, heaven awaits, a place where everything will be put right. No more tears, peace, all of that awaits us in heaven. Doesn't that excite you that you you have that offer of grace to turn to today. So as we truck through the story and we get to the end, we realize that Noah built a boat. God said it's going to flood. And what happened? It flooded. Noah had to have faith, which points us back up to Hebrews chapter 11, 1 and 2, of something that he had not yet seen. Noah, rain's going to come. You've never seen rain. You don't know what rain is, but rain's going to come. What happened? Rain came. The waters flooded. Noah and his family in the boat. And by the way, if you've seen the movie Noah, I couldn't find anything in it that was accurate. And so just completely ignore that. Read the Bible. It's a better story. The boat floated. Now there's hoping in something. The boat survived. The boat landed on a hill. Noah gets off. He worships God. As he worships God, it's an acceptable sacrifice. It's pleasing to God. And at this point in time, we're down to eight people on the earth. There's three challenges to those eight people. Animals could kill them because the animals on the ark may have been hungry. And they're all in the same spot. Hunger games, right? All over again. Man could kill each other because we've proved we're pretty good at that. Or God could get mad at mankind and wipe them out. So look at the grace that God offers even in the conclusion of this narrative in the Old Testament. In chapter 9, it says that God blessed Noah and his sons and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And you see all the correlations back to creation here with the land coming up out of the waters, be fruitful and multiply. Verse 2 He says, we're going to take care of the animals. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. The animals are going to be afraid of you. Now, I know some of you are horribly terrified of spiders, but I can tell you that this verse means they're more terrified of you than you are of them, maybe. 
maybe. Dread shall be upon you of all the beasts of the earth. And then look what it says in verse 4, chapter 9. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, in verse 5, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, from every man and from his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. And so there, man killing mankind, God has grace to put in rules to take care of that. And then in verse 13 of chapter 9, God says, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God takes care graciously of all three of the major concerns of mankind in the conclusion of this story. And he says, a beautiful rainbow up in the clouds. When do you see the rainbow coming? It's usually when the clouds and the rain are around. It's usually when the dark times are coming in that you see the beauty of the rainbow and it points you away from focusing on the clouds or the rain to focusing upon the grace of God that is coming. And yet in our society, we have taken the rainbow, which is a symbol of God's grace and a symbol of God's gracious covenant with mankind. And we have used it as a symbol of Romans 1, depravity. What I fear is that we grow too comfortable in the Romans 1 depravity that we see sin and we glory in it rather than seeing Genesis 6 and the wickedness of mankind and the hatred that God has for sin. So Cedarville, what I want to do today is I want to challenge you. There's a reason that God has had us focus on repentance so much today and in all these messages. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, I want to ask you, All of these messages about repentance, have they been for you? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. But if you're here today and you're in this chapel service and you know, you know that you need to make a decision to repent and follow Christ, I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand so I can pray for you. If you're in this place right now, not yet, not yet. If you're in this place right now and you would say to me, I'm an unbeliever. I know I'm an unbeliever. I know I need God. I know I need to repent. Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Anybody anywhere in the auditorium that would say to me, I know I'm an unbeliever. I know I don't belong, but God has sent me here for a reason. Would you pray for me today? Okay, thank you. If you're in this place right now, and you know you have sin issues in your life that you've made peace with, you've become way too comfortable with, that you need to repent of, and that's you right here, right now, today. Would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you? We're going to say a prayer in just a minute to close. Hands going up all over the auditorium. You're not alone. Just raise your hand up high. Keep it up for just a moment. All right, now, you've got your hand up. If you're willing to say today, I'm going to do my best to walk with God by faith. Keep that hand in the air. 
I'm going to do my best to walk with God by faith. All right, you can put your hands down. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed. But if you're struggling with a sin issue today and you know that you need to repent, one of the ways that you repent of sin issues is to shine light on them. I'm not asking you to come tell me. I'm just asking you to tell somebody. You tell a friend. You tell somebody that's across the hall. You tell your advisor. You talk to anyone in Student Life Christian Ministries, one of our faculty members. We are here to help you. We love you, and we want you on a trajectory for your life that will glorify God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we confess to you that, Father, there is nothing good in us that is worthy of the grace that you've given us. And God, we confess to you as well that we don't know exactly what you're up to with all of the different sermons that have focused on repentance. But Lord, what we do know is that you are a God that hates sin and you're a God that offers grace. And so, Father, today we have many who have said that they want to repent, that they want to be known as somebody that walks with God. And so, Father, today I pray that you would give them strength to do that, that you would protect them, that you would help them to be able to resist temptation. God, that you would put good people around them that will walk with them in this journey. God, whatever you're doing on this campus, we pray that ultimately we would confront our own sin issues, repent from those, turn to you, walk with you, that you would be glorified, and Lord, that you would have your will and your way on this campus. God, we want to see your will done throughout this earth. We want to see you lifted up and praised, and so God, help us to do that, whatever that may mean, whatever that may take. God, we want to experience your presence. We want to live our lives for you. So even where our faith is weak, convince us in our own minds and give us strength. God, help us to live in such a way that we hold forth the gospel to others and that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which we have been called. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You are dismissed.